smartcast.com This is the morning brief from the Economic Times produced in collaboration with avaaz.com Come March 8 a small section of Indian women are gifted bouquets offered discounts in restaurants and shopping malls It all seems like a farce when the larger section of women in workforce are not even acknowledged given equal pay and what is worse is the pandemic has forced many women to drop out from the labor force According to a report in the Times of India the labor force participation rate which is a section of the working population in the age group of 16 to 64 that is currently employed or seeking employment is less than 20% for women in the country this is shockingly lower than the rate for pakistan and afghanistan as well from the economic times i'm devina sengupta and you're listening to the morning brief i've invited rosa abraham senior research fellow at azim premji university who published a report on the impact of covid-19 on gendered employment sairi chahal founder and ceo of shiros a community platform for women and soumya bhattacharya who heads the career and business life team in et to discuss how deep rooted gender disparity is in india Good morning and thank you for being with us on this podcast. Rosa, uh, my first question to you would be your research shows that women were 7 times more likely to lose jobs during the lockdown than men. Just 53% of women remained employed once lockdown was removed compared to 88% men. Why is that? Thank you, Devina. So, let me just add to that. So, women were 7 times more likely to lose work but having lost work they were 11 times more likely than men not to come back into work so immediately after the lockdown you obviously see that people would exit because of just the shrinkage of economic activities but soon after you see a resumption of economic activities and almost 90% of men who had lost work came back into work but for women we do not see this 7% of men did not come back to work compared to 40% of women so what we see is a lack of recovery of the loss of employment that we see especially for women why is this happening so in our study we looked at an econometric analysis to see well is it the kind of industries that women are employed in is it the kind of work that they do could that explain why they are not recovering it is interesting to see that none of these both industries and employ and the kind of employment that they are engaged in do not significantly explain why women are not able to come back to work so when what happens is that we found that when if you are from uh, a larger household for instance you are more likely not to come back into work uh, if you are highly educated in fact you we find that you're more likely not to come back into work which was a puzzle for us so there are a number of reasons aside from just the kind of things that women do we infer that it is potentially increase in household responsibility having greater care burdens because of children being at home and more people just generally being at home which have kind of held back women from returning to work added to this the increased uh, constraints in just mobility 
uh, also restrict women's access and their return to work uh, post the lockdown. This is very, very shocking numbers. Rosa, I was just going to ask you, is this seen across social and class strata and industries? Absolutely. So, for instance, you, you, it is not unexpected that we find that in health and education, particularly compared to other industries, there's a loss that you don't see in other industries. Uh, but in, when it comes to the recovery of work, all industries are similarly uh, you know, not facilitating women's recovery into work. We also find, and this was very interesting for us, that, you know, highly educated men were able to come back into work. They were able to uh, secure themselves from not losing employment, rather. So if you had education and if you're a man, you're not likely to lose work. But in education, in no way did uh, shielded women from the loss of work. Rosa, those are very, very important details you mentioned that it is no more about class or social strata. In fact, the more educated you are, the less likely chances of you uh, coming back to the workforce are. Sairi, uh, after what Rosa mentioned, and I'm actually really taken aback by this data, you have spoken many times about a support system that women need when they enter the employment arena. You know, when we saw the video of this traffic cop, this lady uh, traffic cop on duty with her child, it is not a case of multitasking, but a complete lack of facilities available to women. What can be done to ensure this is available and not relegated only to the privileged? Absolutely. So I'm equally shocked at the numbers, but, you know, having seen what we've seen working with women, I think there is something called a workforce penalty for women. And what that means is that every woman who has a job, a paying job or a, or a employment also has another job, which is never acknowledged, never sort of put up out there. But that is something she cannot leave, you know. So if it is okay to leave the salaried job, but to leave the social job that she has of a caregiver, of a mom, of a wife, of fitting in, there is no giving up that. And, and I think that is a huge, huge driver of why women are dropping off because, uh, there's absolutely no reward or an upside to having a paid job, but there's a lot of downside to one because that means you're doing double the work. You're, you're fighting your way through two systems all at once, home and the workplace. And it is not really set up. It's not designed for women at all. The workplace has absolutely no space for women in spite of uh, us uh, having done a lot of work, you know, as a nation in terms of policies and everything, because the workplace is still run by men. The person who signs the check, the decision makers, the policy makers, the parliamentarians, all continue to be men. Right. Soumya, interesting points I mentioned, because Soumya and I have had many conversations on how women are often poor negotiators. You know, when it comes to demanding the corner office, the coveted salary, the next post, Soumya, in a post-COVID world, where jobs are now going to get more and more scarce as economy trudges back. Is the pay disparity going to increase? I'm afraid that might just happen. As um, uh, Rosa and Saidi have said, the system is not in place to facilitate entry of women back into the workforce. So the scarcity of jobs is a very big factor. Once the women leave workforce voluntarily or involuntarily, it's quite a big challenge for them to come back to the workforce. 
there's some data that we kind of sourced when you know we were into the pandemic about seven to eight months and the numbers that were given to us by the diversity and inclusion firm avatar showed that about three million women were added to the pool of women those who had taken a break in their careers and are seeking a re-entry to the workforce and this number already was about 11 million women and covid 19 alone in the seven eight months had added 3 million women to this pool. So that means 3 million plus 11, 14 million now? We have 14 million women who were looking to re-enter the workforce. But there are again the women who do join the workforce often need to take extended leaves for maternity and childcare. That's a setback again. So women are, as it is, falling well behind men when it comes to being part of the workforce. And COVID has set us back by many, many, many years in that. This is a very gloomy picture that we are painting right now. And it's not a picture we are painting. It's actually a reality that's happening. Uh, Sairi, is there any way in which women across can be trained to be better negotiators for their own career growth? And when I say women across, I really want you to highlight across stratas. Absolutely. I think there is something called universalism of women. I think uh, there, there is absolutely no way that, uh, you know, the, the numbers or the overall scenario will change if we, if we just focused on one segment. I think, uh, what affects women at one end of the spectrum also affects the rest of them and vice versa. I think the big change that, that's really relevant is, I think negotiation begins at home. The idea of having agency begins at home. And somewhere, I think for a long time, we have said women need to be trained. Women need to be mentored. I think women need no fixing. It's the men who need fixing. We need to call out the behaviors and patterns of men overall. It applies not only to things like CEOs not hiring enough women, but also to parliamentarians posing, you know, in male CEO panels. I mean, we need to call out every time women get left behind. And we also need to call out men's lack of ownership in creating gender equality at all. So that's an important point you pointed out, Sairi, that just support by men is not enough. They need to own this race for gender equality. Rosa, I was just researching for this episode and I came across this BBC report in 2017. So the report had highlighted that 20 million women have quit workforce between 2004-05 to 2011-12 in India. And the women participation in workforce was already on a decline in the country. See, there was no COVID then. So why did that drop happen and how to stem this? Okay, so let's just unpack this uh, numbers that BBC reported. So if you actually look at it, so there was a massive overall decline in employment, especially in agriculture. And most of this, 80% of this fall in employment was basically women withdrawing from the labor force. If you look at who are these women leaving, these are women in agricultural work. These are women from very poor, low-income households. So you step back and you ask yourself, well, from a welfare perspective, is that declining labor force participation of women really a bad thing? Given that a lot of these women are engaged in drudgerous work, uh, manual work, very low paid work, perhaps 
the ex- exit may not entirely be a bad thing and this exit is also very closely linked with an increase in real incomes of households during the same time so husbands wages have also gone up so in a sense you can sort of look at this in a in a positive way because you are having women withdrawing there's a choice to withdraw but of course this this withdrawal has continued and it's you know it's abysmally low now even in 2018 19 uh, and so there you have to then understand what it is that's happening one is there's of course women are withdrawing into education a good thing but once you're educated when you come back trying to join the workforce women are met with a lack of good jobs so you have sectors like education and health which are very um dominant employers of women really have been sectors which have faced highest informalization of the kinds of work in that sector so you would have uh, teachers who are paid very low wages you have anganwadi workers who are not even recognized as workers they are called volunteers and 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 earn i think close to 3000 or 5000 a month so when women are educated and you have the highest level of open unemployment rates amongst educated women because when they are educated and they want to come back into work to do the kinds of work that you know justifies the education that they have the work is not there so there is a huge unmet labor demand uh, for women because industries and the sectors that should potentially cater to this kind of demand are just not growing or are growing in a very precarious informal direction which again doesn't really justify uh, women sort of re-entering agreed uh, also that report had highlighted a very interesting thing you know that how in the more marginalized uh, part of the society uh, women are great as labor force you know at that time it's okay to go into the farmlands and work along with a man but moment you get educated then the options diminish so sairi barely 2% of women have ventured as entrepreneurs compared to 21% of men post lockdown the, this data is actually from uh, rosa's research what makes risk appetite lower in women well i think just the agency you have right i mean being an entrepreneur and especially if you if you are not a micro entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur whether real pnl business and uh, and if you're investable or you're trying to build a business that has some sort of scale it needs a all in approach right i mean i think it's much easier for men to go all in and what that means is chances are a man going into a venture has inheritance which means there is some sort of safety net two he has social capital nobody questions his choices and third his acceptance into walking into meeting rooms and walking into customer rooms is just way higher and for a woman it's a negative on all these three points uh, she chances are doesn't have any inheritance no safety nets lot more social pressure and lot more friction when it comes to building something because you are going to employ men sell to men you're going to do a lot of things with which you need a very very different mindset so entrepreneurship for women at scale is still a exception the only ones who are winning are exceptions which means they have really either worked their way out of the system they have figured out how to hack the system uh, but the system is not built to support entrepreneurship at all in fact uh, i think and even at the workforce level a lot of why women are away is because i think the fundamental questions of safety trust and 
being able to be you without being questioned or be, without being laden with judgment does not exist you know so a lot of times i see that we we think that the issue of safety and the issue of uh, a a woman's identity is is not linked to workforce actually it is i think if we solve for that it will also trigger a lot of lot of uh, movement towards both workforce and entrepreneurship but today entrepreneurs just not set up for any kind of welcome gesture it's the exception for that matter sari also funding i've also been reading that you know funding becomes difficult if it's a uh, woman led firm uh, rosa since it is your paper i'm quoting from uh, what are your views on it yeah um, i absolutely agree with sari and i just want to build on that point that she mentioned about you know women and the lack of access to entrepreneurship which came out very strongly when you we were looking at the data so what we saw is that you know you have men losing work but they come back and most of them are coming back as self employed so you have you know your uh, perhaps a uber driver or they are coming back as a, a vendor or setting up a small shop somewhere but for women a for they are pushed out of the labor market entirely and for the few who are able to come back in what are they coming back in they are not coming back as self employed or in any kind of entrepreneurship to a large extent most of the women who are coming back are coming back in daily wage work so just casual work very low paid work and extremely precarious work so i mean really it talks about it rather than the appetite it's the kind of access to slightly perhaps risky but also better earning jobs not even being there for women so women being pushed out and when you're coming back in you're pushed down into uh, very precarious forms of employment because there's nobody to hold us up and everybody seems to be pushing us down so that's highly unpleasant somya my final question to you we keep writing about corporate india its green channel approaches bringing women back to workforce but is india inc doing too little when compared to global firms and what more can be done to make the workforce more balanced india is doing too little in the sense that they are progressive organizations that do have uh, initiatives around uh, you know having more women in the workplace and these are really progressive initiatives that have helped uh, you know going beyond just moving the needle on having more women at work i am reminded of uh, this um, Uh, when india had put in place the 6 months maternity leave there were a bunch of surveys that showed that smaller companies are saying it will be very difficult for us to hire women now because we can't have someone leave work for so 6 months we are in high growth phase and all of that there's a very big need for mindset shifts and sairi said women need uh, no fixing but having said that one one key factor that can't be emphasized enough is that reinforce the point that make a business case for a more diverse workforce relentlessly grow women into leadership roles they can be they can be a role model for future generations and then this is not just an uh, this is a tested and proven way to have numbers tangibles you know when it comes to gender diverse workforce deal with unconscious bias build allies who buy in into the cause of having more women at work one big thing could be having sponsors at workplace people who are in leadership positions uh, this is beyond just mentoring or offering guidance or advice but organizations need to have advocates in place 
who will use their leaderships, who will use their power, who will use their influence. So this proactively builds and advances the careers of uh, uh, women who they are you know, actually sponsoring. So this could be looked at. But it's a whole lot of this is about the mindset, the, the shift in mindset, gender sensitization. And that, that needs to be done a lot more than is being done right now. Right. Important points uh, raised there by Soumya, Rosa and Sairi that it's just not enough to place the rules and the norms and expect women to, you know, break the glass ceilings. There's a lot of support that is needed. Thank you, Rosa, Sairi and Soumya for shining a light on how deep-rooted gender disparity is in India, Inc. While companies try to bring in more women into their fold, pay disparity, challenges of mobility and fighting norms of society only seem to grow each year. The lacuna left behind by exiting women employees will hinder growth of India and its economy. I'm Devina Sengupta and you've been listening to The Morning Brief. This episode was edited by Anjali Venugopalan and coordinated by Bhavya Dilip Kumar. I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode. Do send in your feedback to the morning brief at timesgroup.com and share the episode on your social media networks. The morning brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you for listening and have a nice day ahead. Avas.com <laughs> 